Hello and welcome to the podcast. You're listening to Be Uncluttered. I'm Rebecca Mazzino and with me is Tara Tuttle and together we are going to help you on your journey to a life free of clutter. Hi and welcome to the show. Today I have got Vanessa Nicholas with me. Vanessa is a clinical hypnotherapist and change coach with a background in health, fitness and nutrition. Through her business, Mind Body Clinical Hypnotherapy, she helps others to rewire your thought patterns, create new stories, and make changes in lives around anxiety, weight loss, and self-esteem. Today, I want to talk to Vanessa about New Year's resolutions because it is that time of the year and how our limiting beliefs or our negative self-talk might get in the way of us actually achieving them this year. So welcome to the podcast, Vanessa. Thank you. Lovely to be here. It's great to have you and it's that time of year when everyone is thinking about the new year and the infamous New Year's resolutions and the start of 2021 is just a few days away and Mm. after a pretty horrendous 2020 for most people I think plus then you know all the standard bad habits we kind of accumulate over Christmas, (laughs) silly season, it seems like a really a really good chance for a fresh start. And I, I'm a big fan of setting goals and resolutions around the new year period. But what are your thoughts? Do you think New Year's resolutions are good or bad or helpful or unhelpful? What's your take on them? I absolutely love them personally, Mm -hmm. but I can see both sides of them. So I can think they're, uh, they're very positive if you use them in the right way. Um, on the other side of that, I think they can be um, quite overwhelming and they can put you into a state of feeling, you know, a little bit of a failure, you're not good enough or oh, another year that haven't been able to stick to that. Um I think it's it's all to do with how you set them, whether you know how to set them, whether you know why you want to set them, and how you take action, which makes the difference of a New Year's resolution either succeeding or failing. Mm. So do you personally make them yourself? And I what do. type of things do you make them about? <laughs> I Before I had my daughter... I was the type of person who made maybe about five million a year. <laughs> yep. I've been through everything from losing weight, more exercise, um, learning to speak Spanish, putting moisturizer on my legs every night, all sorts of things. Um, so I really love them, <laughs> stupidly so. But now I've got Layla, it's a little bit more um I suppose an organized more thoughtful list of uh, resolutions so say for example on a business point of view it would be more about organization organization so that I can you know get more done or work on specific projects um and then personally They'd be more light-hearted, like um, go out and catch up with friends more, or you know, enjoy yourself more in some some crazy way of whatever I come up with that year. <laughs> yeah, that's it. It's funny that you say that. I'd not really thought about it before, but I agree. When I was younger, my 
news resolutions used to always very frequently would relate to something to do with my appearance Mm -hmm. um and yeah health fitness probably motivated by my appearance and you know using anti-wrinkle cream or I remember doing having one one year where and I I laughed at the um moisturizer on your legs because I remember having a year where my new year's resolution was to put hand cream on every night because I felt my hands were really aging (laughs) and now I think mine are more like yours mine are more business focused or parenting or social or kind of um even internally focused around um finding ways to motivate myself to do something or self-improvement and that kind of thing so um, it's funny the evolution of them over. I'd love to see a list, you know, the news resolutions that I've made every year for the last 20 years. I probably... actually do have lists, oh, oddly enough. Really? Mm-hmm. And the other year, I, I had a friend who used to make them. She's in the UK now. And she, um, I think it was only last year, she messaged me and she said, Have you still got that list? I was cleaning out. Uh, cupboards and I found that list and I was like no (laughs) and literally there was about 20 and I went through them all and I think apart from um, being able to speak Spanish as in like go to Spain and have a proper conversation um, I did actually knock them all off I was really happy with myself without even knowing what they were were um you know, it was like looking at a vision board and then not looking for years and then coming back to it and going, actually, I've um, I've got all those things done. I've succeeded. I've done quite well. <laughs> wow. That's really interesting. See, mm. so because this is the thing, despite good intentions, most of us just don't stick to New Year's resolutions. Yeah. And I went looking for a statistic and it's pretty grim, really. Forbes tell us that only 25%... 25% of people will even stick to their resolution beyond 30 days. So come 1st of Feb, three quarters of people have already dropped off of trying to achieve or work towards their resolution or goal. And then of those quarter of people that are left, only 8% will actually achieve their resolution. Yeah. And I knew the numbers would be, you know, not great I didn't quite think they'd be that grim it almost makes me think what's the point (laughs) yeah it's it's really sad actually because part of making a good new year's resolution as in it it continuing throughout the year and making the changes that you want to make happen is actually thinking about your life and thinking okay how am I going to fit this in how am I going to change things to allow this new thing in so for example um, one of the highest or top used new year's resolutions is more exercise I think the second one is losing weight so if you take those two into consideration if you think okay I want to exercise more if that's your new is new year's resolution it doesn't really have any kind of (laughs) where am I going to do it? How long am I going to do it for? Am I going to wake up half an hour earlier to do my exercise or will I fit it into my lunch hour? You know, all those kind of thoughts behind it. Mm -hmm. If none of that sort of organizational thought 
has gone into your new New Year's resolution, then it's highly likely, I think even before 30 days, two weeks I'd give it, that Mm -hmm. you'd be off and, you know, a glass of wine and bar of chocolate would be more interesting than going for a run, you know? Yeah, and yeah, that's the thing. I think we make them really broad Mm -hmm. and... And it's it's tough. I feel like the new year should come in like May or June because I feel like it's cruel having new year right after Christmas and after you've had a month of indulgence and, you know, December for me, while I try not to completely fall off the wagon, I definitely eat too much. I drink too much. I have way less exercise and less sleep than I would in a normal month of my life any other time of the year. And so then in January for me, I'm always thinking about getting my health back on track because mm-hmm. I've let it go. Where I think if I made my New Year's resolutions in May when I've had a very normal, sensible April, I probably wouldn't be so health focused. I would probably be more focused on, um, you know, it, reducing procrastination or, mm-hmm. you know, something else. But it just comes at that time where we are all looking at those um those big ticket or the big goals like weight and exercise and stuff like Mm. that I think when new year's resolutions began it was like the Babylonians or something and they actually did have them I can't remember the month it may be March April or May somewhere around that time and that's when they celebrated it so maybe you could go with the Babylonian (sighs) theme (laughs) yeah maybe I should I'll just change my calendar (laughs) Um, So you've said before that our own personal limiting beliefs can overwhelm us and instigate a struggle in the mind when it comes to working towards these types of resolutions or goals. And I really want to drill down a bit further into that idea. Can you explain to us what, what exactly is a limiting belief? You hear the term thrown around a bit, but can you mm. kind of break it down for us to if make it easier think to understand? Of it as being a decision that we make about ourselves that limits us. So mm-hmm. about ourselves or our life um, and things that we could do that we believe we couldn't do, for example. Um, so, for example, a good one is I have a lot of clients who have the self-belief that they're too big to wear a bikini or a swimsuit on the beach. So that then limits them because they believe that. That limits them. They don't go to the beach. So they don't have that fun time, you know, with the family or that relaxing time when they run away from the family and just lie on the beach to, you know, have a few minutes to themselves. Um, And if you think of that kind of thinking that stops you from doing something that really you sh- you could be really enjoying or benefit benefiting from um that is that limiting belief so is there a difference then between a limiting belief and negative self talk or are they this are they two different terms for the same thing they're very similar and i would say a lot of the time it's different terms used for the same thing. But in my thinking, I kind of separate them a little bit. So the limiting self-belief, you know, as I just explained, is your belief that you 
can't do something or are not good enough to do something. And then I think of the negative self-talk as the talk that goes on in your head or sometimes, you know, out loud. You know, say, for instance, if we take the example of a bikini again, if you are one of those people who are not comfortable in their own skin and put a bikini on and look at yourself in the mirror and that horrifying thought of, oh, look at my cellulite, look at my fat belly, look at my thighs, you know, whatever things come to, come to mind. And um, if you think more on a business or work perspective, people who are not confident in themselves, say, to speak, maybe they need to present something for work and they're saying to themselves I'm stupid I'm boring you know who'll listen to me who believe me and it's that constant chatter in your mind for the Mm -hmm. negative self-talk whereas the negative self-belief limiting self-belief is just the belief oh I can't do that and I guess the the belief and correct me if I'm wrong here is almost I know you described it as a choice but it's almost subconscious isn't it it's like because we believe it it feels like it's factual and Mm -hmm. would not be challenged where the negative self-talk seems like we have more control over that where the belief is just kind of discounted as being factual and not worth um, challenging where it comes from or why we think that that's just that just is would that be right very much so, yeah. And what what's quite interesting as well is if you have these um, negative limiting self-beliefs, if you um, hang around with similar type people with a similar background, um, you know, similar family setup, all that kind of stuff, or say, for example, your family is not that sociable and so you don't have um, experience of the way other families work and experience life, you don't really realise that anyone is that much different to you. And it's until you start putting yourself into other people's shoes um, that you realise, oh, wow, they think differently about this. And you start to see, okay, well, if they think that and I think this, who's right? And I can think differently. So, for example, this is, um, you know, a very trivial little example but my daughter um when she was just learning to crawl and stuff she was climbing on the sofa and jumping around and I'd been brought up in quite a strict family so you never would have jumped on the sofa (laughs) whereas Louis my partner was just letting her jump around the cushions fly everywhere and my first reaction was get her off there she's going to get it dirty she'll dribble or be sick or something and as I went to say it, something in my mind went, no, this is just a belief from me. This isn't, you know, she's not breaking anything. She's not hurting herself. And she was laughing her head off. And I just thought, she's really having fun, you know. So at that moment, I changed that belief. 
and realized, okay, I don't need to live my life by the way that I've brought up, been brought up. I can pick the things that I think for myself are right and the way to be. And the other things can go by the wayside. I don't need to live by that anymore. So it was a, a big sort of wake-up call for me, realizing that. And I don't think I'd properly realize that because, you know, I've not been in a situation where kids were jumping over a sofa um, in my life, really. Mm. So you were talking about that, you know, that kind of belief came from what you were told or experienced as Mm -hmm. a child. Is that where most of our beliefs or the patterns of negative self-talk originate? Is it from our childhood or can it come from other sources? It comes from childhood mainly because if you think from being a baby, the only thing you have to pick up on is the people who are around you, whether that be your parents, other family members, friends of the family, um, the people who are around you and the things that they're doing and I suppose the emotions they're displaying are all being absorbed. And as a kid with such little sponges, it's unbelievable. So everything goes in. And then as these adults are continuing and repeating these patterns, that becomes our pattern too. So for example, if you don't like a certain food, so don't have it in the house, and a child never eats it, they probably will think, oh, I don't like that because they've never eaten it, they've never tried it, when really they might love it. Um, Those experiences you have as you grow up and the reactions of uh, people around you, whether it be a teacher or a parent, that all creates our self-belief. For example, as well, Say, for instance, if your parents were the type of parents who were like, oh, yeah, go and climb that tree, you know, hang from the highest thing possible, you probably don't have fear of heights. Whereas if your parents were a little bit more um, worried about you falling and tripping and stuff like that and didn't want you to go so high, you probably will have a little bit more fear around that than the person who had been told to you know, leap from the orchards. (laughs) Yeah, right. Well, so when you were using the example of your daughter on the couch, Mm. you had the thought and then obviously caught it, caught that Mm. belief before it turned into you vocalising your thoughts on that. How do we go about recognising these beliefs and, um, and catching them kind of before they turn into actions? Is there a way we can start tuning into them? I think the most important thing is actually realizing that you can have them and then almost thinking of yourself being, um, you know, like a little um, fairy, you know, you are yourself, but then you've got another mind that is able to go, oh, yes, this is right or this is wrong. For example, if you've said, oh, I want to cut down alcohol after Christmas and someone hands you a glass of wine the week after, mm-hmm. <laughs> part of you will be going, oh, I'll just have it. And part of you will be going, oh, well, I wanted to cut down a bit. So it's that 
that minute or second that is in your head that you go, oh, what should I do? And it's relying on the good fairy to say, cutting down is what you wanted to do. Um, It will give you X, Y, Z results and sticking to that rather than just giving in to the bad fairy (laughs) and going, okay, Mm -hmm. I'll have a bottle of wine now. Yeah, right. Oh, that's interesting. So I guess it's just about being really mindful of your thoughts as they happen, as they occur. And I guess maybe even um, looking retrospectively, if you've behaved or um, done something or said something in a certain way and you take the time to look back at that and think well why did I why did I behave in that way Has, mm. yeah I think thinking of it emotionally as well as in you know what emotions are there when it's happening or afterwards um so for with food or drink you know you usually eat or drink too much and feel terrible the next day or um in the example that I gave of Layla jumping on the sofa that minute just before thinking of the emotion of it and I felt myself that emotion of my mum telling me off and you know not being able to play but at the same time I could hear her laughter and see a little face you know so excited to be jumping around and I just it was like Mm -hmm. you know that sliding door moment pick the happiness or pick the sadness and I went for happiness. It's pretty powerful really when you think about it isn't it because it's I feel like so much of my life I walk through completely oblivious to the beliefs that are informing my actions Mm. and the idea Mm. of just a moment's pause to interrogate what belief is driving the action could set you on a completely different path and certainly with parenting as well I think for me that's when I always I catch myself because I've said something and I sound like my parents and that's when I go, oh, my gosh. Mm. When I was a kid, I couldn't stand it when my mum said that to me and now that I'm saying the exact same words to my children and they're looking at me the way I used to look at my mum and it's at that point I'm like, oh, okay, why? Where does this come from? Um, And do I believe? Mm. And some of it is just that. I was a kid and I wanted yeah. to do something risky and my mum was risk averse. And now that I'm a parent, I'm probably risk averse too, to a certain extent and trying to keep my kids safe. So there are some things that I'm like, well, no, that was good. It's a good lesson. It's probably a good belief to have, but there are other things that I think are just so mm-hmm. ingrained. I've never even contemplated challenging them. So yeah. Yes. And it comes from, we have a a part of our brain, the oldest part, which is um, the reptilian brain, that is made to keep us safe. So it's basically in um, fight and flight syndrome, you know, um, if something happens, say, for instance, going too close to a um, high edge or something like that, we are wired to keep ourselves safe and obviously to keep our kids safe you don't want them to fall off and hurt themselves so in those circumstances we are quite right to stay safe and you know be careful and all that kind of stuff 
but that reptilian brain is so old and so so you know far back in the ages we've advanced so much that it almost keeps us hemmed in and we we um are sort of caged in a little bit by it becoming a little bit too um what's the word Mm. I suppose smothering you know and it's then that we have to understand okay then this could be my reptilian brain trying to keep me safe for example with the new year's resolutions um you know it's usually that you want to do something different whether it be give something up or exercise more so your reptilian brain will go oh well I'm used to you know, lying in bed till nine o'clock every morning. I don't want to get Mm -hmm. up at 6am to jog. (laughs) Um, And that part of your brain is so strong and so old, you know, from being there from day dot, it is most likely going to stop you unless you've got those thought processes in place and the organization in place and the emotions around why you want to change something to be able to succeed so say for instance if you've just said okay well I want to go for a run every morning at six o'clock and you don't explore the whys and the goal that you want and um, the action you're going to take, the steps that you're going to take towards that, your reptilian brain will most likely say to you, well, it's easier to stay in bed and probably mm. safer, so why not? And, and because it's just an ingrained part of our brain, we're more likely to go with that unless we take the steps to kind of step outside of it. So then if we're thinking about New Year's resolutions, is it worth looking at how we got to where we got before we change? Mm-hmm. You know, is it might we uncover something in that? So say, you know, we're talking about this exercise idea. Is it worth, if we're thinking about making a New Year's resolution around exercise, not only, you know, figuring out how we're going to increase our exercise and, you know, the organization around that in terms of what time and what type of exercise and do we have the equipment for that and all that kind of stuff but exploring Mm -hmm. why we what the barriers have been to us doing that so far would that kind of give us a little unlock the the possibilities of it succeeding um a lot of the time if you look back in, in your life you'll Say, for instance, a family who have quite sporting parents and have always gone out to sporting events and, you know, taken the kids to whatever it might be, football, netball, all that kind of stuff, as opposed to a family who maybe the kids didn't go out and do sports. Um, Those kids, as adults, will find it easier the sporting family will find it easier to take up some kind of exercise for a New Year's resolution again because back in the day, their brain is wired to exercise. That's normal for them. Whereas the family who didn't do any exercise, um, if they decide, okay, I want to run every morning, that's a whole completely new habit 
that they're forming as an adult that they want to run every morning. And there's nothing to kind of go, oh, well, I used to love it. I used to feel so good. I used to feel exhilarated. You know, you can't go back to those thoughts because Mm. you've never had them before. Oh, it's tricky, isn't it? And then, so then is there a way to... Oh, I can't help myself. I want everything to be really quick. <laughs> is there a way to shortcut it? If you're the person mm-hmm. that wants to increase your exercise but you don't have a history of that, there's been barriers for whatever reason or maybe it's, you know, family history that that's not been a habit in your past, is there a way you can shortcut it to make it more successful as a habit in your future? Is there anything you can do? Well, I would definitely think about why you want to do it. So say, for instance, if someone is doing it for health, um, you know, to think about uh, whether it be blood pressure or diabetes or, you know, whatever problem they're having, think about what their life will be like if they don't exercise, what they'll lose out on. Say, for instance, if they have kids or when they, they're going to be grandparents, you know, they won't be able to run around with them. They, you know, might be in hospital, the costs of hospital and healthcare, um, all that kind of stuff. Um, even so much as the clothes that you want to wear, you know, do you want to wear plus sized clothes? Do you want to have to pay for an extra um, seat on a plane because you can't fit in between the two mm-hmm. little handrail little things? What are they called? <laughs> yes, those. Um, you know, if you think a little bit more deeply into it all, it becomes more emotional to you. And as soon as you get the emotions involved, things start changing. If you just think of it as, I just want to lose weight, it's just, you know, you've read that phrase so many times, you've seen that phrase so many times, you've heard that phrase so many times, it's just normal. It's like just saying, oh, I'll brush my teeth this morning. You know, you've got to bring the emotions in and change it, make it really um real to you and make you feel the difference yeah right so you got to really tap mm. into that why and get attached yes. get attached to the outcome to kind mm. of motivate you through the I think that's why vision boards were so good in their day I know they've come back in some respects but you know having a visual reminder of mm-hmm. what you're trying to achieve I think is sometimes far easier than trying to conjure up the picture in your head of what you're trying to get to, you know, whether it's um, having a garden with, you know, beautiful apple trees and olive trees and, you know, growing your own kale. If you have a a picture of that that you can readily call up, not just in your head but something you can Mm -hmm. see, especially if you're a more visual person, I feel like it, it sparks something where if you're always trying to internally motivate yourself and uh, regenerate the image in your head of where you want to be in, especially when they're long-term goals, six months, 12 months' time, sometimes having that visual reminder can be. Definitely. And I think, you know, unless you're the type of person who's used to conjuring all that up in your mind um, and visualising it and bringing the thoughts and the feelings around about it, I think literally we've all got so much Mm. on that we forget to do it 
You know, it's like a minute in the morning that you should be doing it. And then if you've forgotten it, that minute's gone and your head is elsewhere. I get clients to, when they're brushing their teeth, think about certain things. So it's like tying it in with something else that you're doing. But you're so used to brushing your teeth and just, you know, staring at yourself, brushing your teeth or whatever you do, that often you can forget to be thinking what you've been asked to be thinking about. So even if you put a post-it note on the mirror to remind you, you know, just to start off that consistency and continuity of thinking that way, I think it's really, really good to have a visual there, whether it be um, a word to remind you or like you say, your vision board, just to see those pictures of what it is Mm. you're working towards. Other than goal setting and understanding our why, mm-hmm. getting a really clear goal and, you know, understanding the organisation that goes around into making that goal uh, happen, are there, you know, I know that you work as a hypnotherapist. Is do, is that a modality that you use with people or are there other modalities that you use in your practice to help people overcome these beliefs beliefs that they have and and start achieving some of their bigger goals yeah I use hypnotherapy and rapid transformational therapy so much (laughs) that it it is the main part of my business I, I coach around that as well but I use the hypnotherapy to help people to change these self-limiting beliefs and um, create better neural pathways so that they can move on mm-hmm. more positive ways the hypnotherapy works with the subconscious mind and then the coaching helps with the conscious steps and action that you take every day. Um, And I find that the hypnotherapy enables you just to slow right down and tap into what it is that you do want and what in the subconscious mind is holding you back from getting there so sometimes um, with my clients they can say um, you know with the example of the exercise and losing weight again they can say well I don't know why I don't I can't do it or I don't want to do it or it's not happening and we'll go back in the hypnotherapy session and They'll come up with a time in their life that in their conscious mind they'd forgotten completely about. But then when we go back in the hypnotherapy, it's a real thing. They're not making it up. It's just that they haven't thought about that particular thing for so many years that it's just almost not a memory anymore. And when they pinpoint that thing, it might be, um, you know, being told off when they're at school for not getting the, the right grade or not being given certain food or, you know, a reason why related to what they're trying to change. It's like a light bulb turns on and we're able to just switch their thinking, switch their self-belief and release that negativity so that then they can go, well, actually, yeah, that was my mum and dad that, you know, brought that belief on. It's nothing to do with me. 
But because they couldn't really remember that or link that up in their conscious mind, it was causing a problem, an ongoing problem. So that's where the hypnotherapy really helps. Um, The other thing I really love to use is yin yoga because we hold so many emotions and, um, you know, thought processes in our muscles that it's very interesting to release them physically. So often um, clients that are, you know, having trouble moving forward in their life, whether it be just personally or whether it be um, in their work life, they feel a little bit stuck, like they're not moving forward. So often opening up the hips and just letting the emotions go from the hips will really, really help. And that's something that some people don't really think about so much. They, you know, we just think, oh, I'm a bit stiff Mm -hmm. now, getting old. (laughs) So often they just think it's a physical thing. But if you think of it a little bit more in the emotional sense, you can let go of a lot through movement as well. Oh, that's fascinating. So tying this all back around to New Year's resolutions and people getting to this point in a few days where they're thinking about setting something and, you know, everyone wants 2021 to be a better year than 2020 was. But how can we or can we try and prevent our beliefs and the negative self-talk if there's that as well? Is there a way we can try and prevent that from taking down or or knocking us out of our our path to achieving these goals is there a way that we can really hone in and and stop Mm. them before they derail us so mm, the negative self-talk is a massive one because even if we don't think we're that bad if there are things that we're not succeeding in or not changing um or not things aren't going the way we want to, there will be negative self-talk. Even the most positive person does have negative self-talk as well. So if you work on that to start off with, and literally you can just look in the mirror and go, actually, Mm -hmm. I'm amazing. You know, you can, if you've got kids, you are amazing because (laughs) you're still alive. You've had, you know, sleepless nights, worry, all that kind of stuff. And if you're still standing, you are amazing. If you have a job, you're amazing. If you don't have a job, you're amazing for coping with not having a job. There's ways of looking at yourself and realizing you are absolutely amazing. Well done for being here well done for being me, like acknowledge that you're a kind person or a happy person or a um, fun person, however you are, even if you're a very introspective, quiet person, you know, there are positives. A lot of people who are like that don't think they're fun but they can be the most interesting. Like, you know, you talk to someone who doesn't talk that often to other people and they often are the most intelligent, amazing minds that you can find out about. So everybody has got something that is good about them. And I think that we don't um, 
acknowledge ourselves enough for that. So that helps with the negative self-talk. And also if you think of almost having those two fairies, the good fairy and the bad fairy, and if you start to think, oh, you know, I'm not very good at that or, oh, I wonder if this is good enough, you know, let that little good fairy come up and go, well, actually, it's it's not that bad. Get that bad fairy out. That's the old reptilian brain. It doesn't need to save us right now. We can do this, you know, and talk to yourself a little bit like that. And I think being aware that that negative is very normal allows you to lean into it a little bit and sort of question a little bit, okay, well, why am I stopping myself from doing this? Where is this fear coming from? And then in turn, you can look back, okay, when I grew up, you know, I was scared of dogs because a next door dog jumped up and nearly bit me or, or something like that. You know, you can look back and see where it came from. And then that brings that emotion into it, which causes that light switch to switch on and go okay I get where it's coming from and obviously if you can't get to that point there are people out there like yourself that can help us get to that point if you can't figure out why you're Mm. getting stuck despite your best efforts um, and you've looked back and you've assessed and you can't find a trauma or a trigger or a memory that has kind of informed those beliefs I guess you can seek help for um, to find other pathways to try and discover those most definitely because sometimes you know a lot of the time we kind of think oh well it must be something massive you know you must Mm -hmm. have gone through a a massive trauma I I know when um, years ago I tried to meditate and I, I think a lot of people have the same kind of problem when they start and you think it's going to be some sparkling shimmery I know like you're on drugs or something experience and then you just sit there and go Mm -hmm. oh I can't very well I know know that feeling (laughs) and that (laughs) that expectation of something amazing and then it not happening you kind of think oh well I must be doing it wrong I'm bad at it you know whereas if you allow yourself just to feel and experience and um, understand where things are coming from, understand yourself and your thought processes, then you start to realize what actually yeah, is going and on. That maybe, maybe it was when, something that at the time seemed insignificant, but that has stuck with you. Yeah, yeah. Exactly. And, you know, it could be somebody who's scared of doing a presentation in front of people at work or public speaking or something like that. And once upon a time back in the day, when they were at daycare, one kid said to the other, your mum's not coming to pick you up. You know, it could be totally not related in your conscious mind, but your subconscious mind had gone, oh, I can't get up Mm -hmm. and say, you know, whatever it is I need to say. Um, So if you can understand that it's not always really simple to pick up and 
obvious and it doesn't have to be a massive big thing. It can be the most insignificant thing in your conscious mind that could just be holding you up from being able to go ahead and um, meet your dreams. Then, you, you know, once you realize that and you can go and get some help, it makes all the difference. Even, you know, us as coaches and hypnotherapists, sometimes the things that are, we're stuck on, it takes going to another therapist to kind of go, mm-hmm. have you thought of this? <laughs> and as soon as someone says it, you're like, oh, yeah, mm-hmm. okay, I get it. And sometimes it's just having someone else's eyes look on the situation and just pick up on different little aspects that makes all the difference. Okay, so for a takeaway for people going forward that are setting their New Year's resolutions and hopefully this year taking a bit more of an in-depth look into what has prevented them from succeeding previously, what's held them back in the area that they're trying to improve. One last tip that I would suggest, and look, we've done uh, podcast episodes in previous years, Beck and I, on New Year's resolutions. And so if you want something really specific, you can go back to previous years and have a listen to those. But one of the things I always think that makes a huge difference is making sure your goal or your resolution is measurable. Because for me personally, and I know for a lot of people, that's a way to get demotivated really quickly. So if your goal is simply to lose weight, but you don't set a kilo amount, or you don't set a kilo amount by a certain date, so maybe you want to lose two kilos by the 20th of January, you know, that you can work towards, that you can measure and you can see if you're getting closer to success or not. If you just say, I want to lose weight, well, technically, if you go to the bathroom in the morning, you've lost weight. Is that goal achieved? (laughs) And then move on with the rest of your year. So I think it's really important to, you know, whether it's the the kilo amount or if you want to save money, how much do you want to save or how much are you going to try and put away and how often? Um, If you want to drink more water, how many cups a day? Are you going to try and drink? And then can you make sure that cup's available so that you can work towards that and achieve that and track the cups either on your smartwatch or a notepad on your desk or whatever? So get really specific so that you've got something concrete that you're aiming for and then you'll know if you're succeeding or on the way to success and and that should help keep you motivated. So that's my last tip around goal setting. Do you have one, Vanessa, a specific tip or suggestion around getting your new year's resolutions to stick this year yeah I completely agree with you and on top of that I would say think about consistency so you know very it's very easy say for instance your example with drinking more water you know, you'll be really good in the week at work and then you get home at the weekend and mm-hmm. you haven't got that glass on your desk there to drink so you don't drink. And then most people will get a little bit down in the, on themselves thinking, oh, I haven't drunk my water. And that's the point where that New Year's resolution goes out the window because you think, oh, I've failed. Whereas if you're consistent and you realize, okay, well, this isn't just I'm going to do it for the next month. This is going to be a lifestyle change. 
all I need to do is be consistent. And at the weekend, you don't drink as much and you realize that. And then you go, okay, well, what steps will I put into place to make that more consistent through the weekend and the week? And just work on that consistency because as the consistency increases, the motivation increases too. I like that. That's very, very helpful. So, Vanessa, it has been a real pleasure to talk to you today and get a bit of an insight into this whole idea around negative self-talk and self-limiting beliefs and how they can derail us and set us back. If our listeners would like to find out more about you and your practice and all the things that you get up to, where can we find you online? I'm at www.mindbodyclinicalhypnotherapy.com and I'm on Facebook at Mind Body Clinical Hypnotherapy and Instagram, mind underscore body underscore hypno. Awesome. That is brilliant. We will have the links to all of Vanessa's sites and her handles for our social pages in our show notes this week. So if you miss them, you can head to our show notes page on the website and click on through. And we would love to hear if you're setting New Year's resolutions, if you failed in the past, what you're going to do differently this year, come and join us in our Be Uncluttered Facebook community and share with us what you're thinking of doing this year. Maybe we could be your accountability group and Mm. keep each other on track. I'll have to come up with a good one that I can share in there and try and stick to. (laughs) Um, So thank you so much for being with us, Vanessa. Thank you. And we will be back with you all next week. Thanks for joining us. We'd love it if you'd leave a review or tell all your friends about us so that they too can be uncluttered. If you'd like to connect with us, you can find us at beuncluttered.com.au or on social media or on our own websites at clearspace.net.au and basklifecoaching.com.